never, ever marks the spot. I am altering the deep. Pray I don't alter it any further. Most of the intelligence community doesn't believe he exists. The ones that do call him the Winter Soldier. I'm Batman. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of the Top 5 Report, the podcast that wonders if we find the One Piece and become King of the Pirates, does that include Captain Hook and Jack Sparrow, and all the rest of them. My name is Drew. I'll be your host for the evening. Along with me, as always, is my brother, Peter. What's happening, man? Here. Uh, what's up? <laughs> I kind of laugh because that opening joke, um, I haven't watched One Piece or read the manga or watched the anime, but from what I hear, they actually do incorporate some historical figures when it comes to, like, like I feel like Blackbeard's in there and, like, Magellan and stuff. But I don't know about when it comes to Captain Hook and uh, Jack Sparrow and Dave Jones. <laughs> I don't know if those pirates are in there. So that's a really good question, actually. Um, I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, how about this? We have, I have checked out the live action One Piece. I'll talk about it in a moment. Um, but we have a ton of news to discuss, so I don't want to waste too much time. But ultimately, how was your week and what have you watched slash reading? <laughs> yeah, so um, my week's been pretty good. It's been pretty chill. Um, I actually did have something really fun that I did last week, though. Um, Drew, you know this, but last week we had to adjust our recording schedule because I actually had a friend who literally two days. Oh, yeah, before- yeah, yeah. <laughs> like two, right. literally two days before we recorded the podcast, my friend text texts me and he's like, hey, dude, I've got an extra ticket to this concert I'm going to. Do you want to go? And I really did want to go. So I went. But that meant that we had to readjust our schedule. And uh, the reason I'm bringing that up now is because that was the uh, baby clock tour that we went to see. So the baby clock tour was uh, baby metal and death clock um, co-headlining show. And uh, it was amazing. Both are like two of my favorite bands. Um, For anybody who doesn't know, baby, baby metal is like a combination between like Japanese pop and heavy metal. Like it's a it's like a girl pop band that sings over like hardcore metal like a hardcore metal band that's playing in the background they're awesome all their songs sound like they'd be like anime openings or something like that highly recommend um but then death clock is uh that's the fictional band that uh metalocalypse is based off of so like the adult swim show metalocalypse is about this fictional european death metal band called death clock and uh that show is hilarious one of my favorite animated series but I feel like if you've never seen Death Clock before, you don't necessarily understand how that translates to a uh, concert setting. But it's basically what they did is they have a the whole time the band's performing, they have a projector screen at the back of the stage. 
and the projector screen is showing footage of the cartoon band performing as well as like close-ups on like certain characters faces or um guitar solos and stuff like that but then intermingled between that you also have like this crazy metal imagery going non-stop and it'll be either clips from the show or clips from or just extra bits and stuff like that and it's both hilarious and just awesome as far as just like a really crazy projector show but while that's going on you have the actual people who play the instruments like you have the actual band playing in front of the projector screen and so you have this big crazy projector screen (laughs) broadcasting the most entertaining hilarious imagery ever and then in front of it you have the real band and they're not quite lit up and it has a cool effect because it's like they want you to look at the projector but they still have the people in front who are just basically silhouettes rocking out playing their instruments and uh, every once in a while a gleam of light will like hit one of the guitarists just right so you can kind of see him noodling up and down his fretboard but it's like a pretty unique uh, concert experience. And it's one of those things where it's like, I've never seen a show like this, but it's so freaking cool. Um, It was, what else blew me away about Death Clock is they're so tight. Like their performance was just so like spot on. Like they just sounded so good as a band. So highly, highly awesome concert experience. Uh, Baby Metal was great too. I've actually seen Baby Metal a couple of years ago, but the bands, oddly enough, fit together better than you'd think because they both did a lot with um, a projector screen in the background and stuff like that. But um, this this was just an amazing concert experience. Both bands sounded sounded amazing. And if anybody has the chance to see the Baby Clock Tour, I definitely highly, highly recommend it. Uh, another highlight from that night was... Uh, I did, uh, I bought a Death Clock shirt that has uh, Face Bones, if you know the character Face Bones from Death Clock. <laughs> I bought that yes. shirt, which was pretty great. I really, really wanted to buy, they had a Dr. Roxo shirt, Dr. Roxo the Rock and Roll Clown, that was bright pink, and it looked hilarious, and I wanted to buy it so bad. But I was like, dude, I'm never going to wear this shirt anywhere besides, like, if I go to a concert. And I have to take this bright bright pink shirt with like this glam metal clown on it i have to take that home with me and show and when my wife says you know what do you get at the concert oh hey honey this is a shirt i got and i would have to have her just like stare at me like you're a total idiot but uh i'm totally satisfied with the face bone shirt but uh yeah awesome experience so yeah, I don't know. I can move into my other watching and reading, but that just had to be me- mentioned since yeah, I have. Yeah, no, you, you had mentioned going to the concert. You had mentioned that, uh, that uh, that's why we had to change our schedule a little bit. So, um, yeah, no, it's all good. So, yeah, what else did you watch? Yeah, so the other things I watched, um, I watched this week's episode of Ahsoka, of course, yep. which I'm sure we're going to talk about in a bit. Um, I also watched this movie called The Owners. Um, are you familiar with this one at all, Drew? No, I'm not. Okay, so this movie came out in 2020. Um, It's starring Maisie Williams, and it is a British horror film. At least I'm pretty sure it was it's British or English. Um, It might have been filmed somewhere else in the UK, and I'm just coming off super ignorant right now. But uh, basically, this is a random horror movie that uh, my wife and I found at Goodwill. So it's one of those things where 
it's Halloween season, it's spooky season, and uh, you happen to go to thrift shops maybe a little more often than normal because you're looking for costume bits and stuff. And uh, we found this movie, The Owners, um, and we thought we'd check it out. But basically, it's just kind of a pretty cool, like, horror thriller sort of movie that's, it's kind of like The Shallows or, um, what's that movie that Ryan Reynolds was in that he was buried alive? Is it Buried or? Oh. So, so it's, but my point is it's like one of those thriller movies that takes place in one location. Like, it's like a single location movie. And uh, the movie opens up with... Uh, this guy and a couple of his friends are waiting outside of uh, this really rich guy's mansion because they want to go in and rob the place. And they know that this rich couple is going on vacation or they're going to be out of the house or whatever. So they're just waiting for the couple to, to leave. So then Maisie Williams rides up on her bike because she's one of the girlfriends of one of the guys who's waiting to rob the house. And she's like, hey, you took my car, give me my car back, I need to go to work. And she has no idea that her boyfriend is trying to rob this place. And uh, the boyfriend doesn't really tell her what's going on, but he basically steals her keys, hops the fence, and goes into the house. So eventually, of course, she has to follow them in because she needs her car. And uh, basically everything unfolds from there, where like she realizes, okay, they're trying to rob the place. Um a bit of a spoiler but there might be certain people that live there or who are involved there who end up coming back to the house maybe earlier than expected a lot of a lot of hell breaks loose and uh, like any good thriller movie there it's gonna turn you on your head a couple of times there's some good twists in there and uh the way everything plays out is really cool because it's just it's just a lot of just like you wouldn't see these twists coming. So I'd say the owners, it's not the greatest movie ever, but I definitely enjoyed it. It held my attention. It was a good watch. Uh, the one thing I'll say about the movie, my big complaint is um, I feel like the movie leaves stuff a little bit too open-ended, if you will. Like there's a couple okay. aspects, especially when it comes down to character motivations. There's a couple things that I feel like it doesn't explain fully. And I don't know if it was... I just didn't catch it or if the movie didn't really explain it enough. Um, so that's something that I might want to rewatch and think about. But overall, I think it's like a pretty solid like six or seven out of ten, like fun thriller movie. If you're in that sort of mood, you know what I mean? Yeah, I gotcha. OK, um, I, it's it sounds interesting enough. Uh, so I will tack it out. Where would you find it? Like, where do I like? Oh, that's the thing. I don't even know. It's pretty recent. Like I said, it came out in 2020. But yeah, we we literally found the uh, DVD of this movie at Goodwill. Oh, you don't know, <laughs> it you don't know if it's on like Netflix or Amazon or something like that. Yeah, yeah I haven't even searched it. Um, I okay. could probably take a look at that and let you know. But yeah. Okay. Not sure. Um, <laughs> so aside from Ahsoka, did you watch anything else? Yeah, I watched Ahsoka and I think that's about it for me this week. So. Okay. Um. So here's the things that I watched. Uh, first off, yes, I watched Ahsoka. We'll talk about that in a moment. I watched uh, the Jennifer Lawrence movie No Hard Feelings this week. Oh, uh, okay. interesting. The rated R comedy that she did. Um, the movie is okay. Um, the funny moments in the movie are legitimate laugh-out-loud moments. Uh, yeah. They really play it up for the rated R comedy. 
Um, when it's supposed to be funny, it is supposed to be funny and it's hilarious. It's really good. Um, the my quibble with the movie is the pacing. I felt it was very I felt it was slow paced uh, for what it was supposed to be. And because of the subject matter, it does have a serious undertone to it when they get there. But the comedy is solid when it's being a comedic moment. Um, it's just so hard to make a comedy these days because you can't be I can't offend anybody anymore. You can't say anything offensive. You can't do anything offensive. Um, so it's just it's really difficult to make a comedy. So I praise these guys for making a rated R comedy that had these really great laugh out loud, funny moments. Um, nice. But oh, but overall, the movie was um, uh, I, I felt it was OK, but it is definitely worth a watch. Um, so, yeah, um, that's really all I got to say about it. Otherwise, other than just I say everyone should check it out because I think it's good. Um, and I had a lot of fun watching it. It just wasn't, I kind of, I think I was expecting more from it, but I don't know. I was, I just, I'm glad they took the risk of being, Hey, we're doing a comedy and it's going to be rated R. Here we go. You know? So. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's, um, oh, you just said something that led, made me start thinking of stuff. But, uh, what I was originally going to say is like, I thought the premise of the movie seemed really entertaining. And, uh, I think it's, it seems like the type of plot that would be straight out of like an eighties or nineties teen comedy where it would go like really raunchy and really non PC and stuff. And I feel like it, it would, this movie is something that will be interesting to watch in 2023 and see like how they balance that sort of like kind of offensive seeming plot um, in a time when like people usually stray away from that. And that's kind of like, I kind of want to watch it just to see how that's going to be handled, you know? Yeah. Um, and it did feel like that eighties raunchy comedy kind of a thing um, when you put put it into that perspective. So yeah. Nice. Um, I watched a movie called theater camp, um, which uh, <laughs> do you know what I'm talking about? I don't know what this is, but it, I'm, the title's already sold me. So. Okay. This is, I saw the trailer a lot. It's an indie film, but I saw a trailer for it a while ago, and the trailer is hilarious. And I was like, oh, I'm totally going to have to check this out. Um, the movie, it's it's fairly short. It's only an hour and a half. Um, it was on, shoot, I forget which streaming service I watched it on. Um, but... It's uh, essentially it's a mockumentary style found footage movie about a theater camp and the kids who go to the theater camp. And it's all about, you know, you have your jocks have their sports and all that stuff. Well, this is what we have. You know, this is the summer camp for them. This is this is the way we live. Everyone's accepted. Everyone gets a part everyone. You know what I mean? And the kids take it way too seriously. And right. and the camp counselors take it way too seriously. So it, it becomes this really great uh, comedic um, and, you know, very, very well. I mean, I'm a theater person, so I'm not making fun of this movie at all. And I don't make fun of the genre or the where, you know, um, I, I'm not I don't make light of the uh, like they're what they make fun of is. It's it's one of those things where it knows what it is and it knows when to poke fun and it knows when to be serious and all that stuff. Um, and uh, so like Amy Sedaris plays the lady who's like in charge of the theater camp and uh, she has a 
she suffers a, a epile, an epileptic uh, seizure and gets put in the hospital because she's in a coma. So she can't be there for this year's theater camp. And then her son, Troy, um, who knows nothing about theater, has to go run the camp for the summer. <laughs> um, nice. And he gets there and he finds out about all this like bill money foreclosure problems that no one's ever known about. And he's doing his best to not alarm anybody. And everyone's like, oh, here's Troy again. He's going to like, you know, and they don't like him. <laughs> um, and he's trying He's trying his best to, like, keep his mom's dream alive and still trying to make friends and all that stuff. And, like, nobody likes him. And the adult counselors are just they take themselves way too seriously and they take the whole thing way too seriously. And the big fantastical show that they're going to put on is about this lady's life. And you start the show and when they announce that that's the theme of this year and then that's the big production they're going to do, there's a, there's an aside where you find out that they haven't written anything for the show. <laughs> so they're like writing it as they do, as they do all the production stuff. Um, ultimately, it's really funny. There's some great laugh out loud moments. Um, and yeah, I, it's, it's definitely worth the watch. I just don't remember which streaming service I watched it on. So sorry. <laughs> oh, <fair> uh, <laughs> but it's, but it was really good. It's like, it felt like that cross between uh, Waiting for Guffman and uh, Spinal Tap in terms of, like, the, the 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 way the movie was kind of put together. I know it's that's the same filmmaker for both those movie that both those uh, references, but that's kind of how I felt the comparison um, in terms of making that movie. So nice. Uh, that's awesome. All right. So I watched One Piece on Netflix, the live action One Piece. Um, here's what I'm going to say. I've only slightly dabbled with um, the anime. I know very, very little about it. What I do know is that One Piece is one of the most famous, most watched animes out there. And yeah. it has a massive, massive following. And I've only dabbled with it, right? Well, the live action show started. And, you know, I thought the Cowboy Bebop one was okay. I didn't finish the Cowboy Bebop live action, but... The um, it got canceled like it was a season one and they were like, we're not making anymore. And I was like, OK, maybe I don't finish the old Cowboy Bebop live action and just know that I liked the anime. Right. Well, One Piece got a second season renewal uh, pretty quickly after it um, launched on Netflix. And I was like, well, I'm sitting around Saturday morning, didn't know what to do with myself. I'm like, I'm going to give One Piece a shot. The show's fantastic. Like, it is so good, and it's addictive. <laughs> um, I've only watched the first four episodes because life has prevented me from watching any more, but I've been like, I have to get back and watch more One Piece. It is fantastic, and it's so good that I definitely, once I finish the season and I'm going to have to wait for more live action, I'm planning on going back to the anime and like going through it because it's and it's also there's a ton of it too so we'll see how far i make it but um <laughs> i feel like it's like 500 some episodes or something it is like it's like 500 some episodes and there's like six movies and stuff like that and i'm like so i don't know how far we'll see how far i make it but the live action makes me want to watch the show the anime and the live action is absolutely amazing um and I know and the dabbling I've done with it, they're doing such a great job of porting the manga or the anime, however you want to look at it, to the screen for live action. Um, 
the weirdness, the goofiness, the crazy anime stuff, like the characters look like the characters from the show, from the anime, the characters move like the characters from the anime. Like there's all these like iconic moments that I know from the couple episodes I've seen, which I've already seen live action. And I'm like, God, it's so good. Um, so I definitely, definitely recommend you watching it. It's just, it's a lot of fun. And um, the main character, Luffy, with his, like, stretchy, like, powers, um, it looks great on screen. It just looks great. And, like, that's that's one of those CGI tricks that you you want to make sure it looks good. It looks fantastic when he does it. So, um, yeah, man, it's great. Watch it. <laughs> this is awesome. So I've been hearing this a lot, that the series is just so great. Um, I actually did try to read the manga um some years ago just because i knew people who just like so highly recommended one piece and i read a couple chapters and i actually just didn't feel hooked by it so i feel like maybe i gotta watch the show and uh, see if that'll get me into the uh, manga and or anime um what you said though i've been seeing this all over online it's just a lot of people who some people who are like some like nerdy personalities and stuff I follow who aren't even necessarily big anime pers- people are just like, I, I watched One Piece. It's great. I'm hooked. I'm going to start the anime. And that just seems to be said all over the place. So I think I definitely have to check this one out. But the best part of this is Netflix is kind of they've kind of been clowned on for their anime adaptations like the Cowboy Bebop one seemed to go over OK. Um, a lot of people really didn't like the uh, Death Note movie they did. I um, don't remember if they had any others, but I feel like One Piece doing this good is like Netflix's saving grace, where now they probably have more money coming in, probably can be more ambitious with their uh, anime adaptations. And that's just really cool. I know there's the uh, they have an Avatar, the last airbender adaptation in the works and a lot of people are really scrutinizing every sort of like behind the scenes like pre-production move for that one Um, well i think i think that movie is that's awesome you know i do think the avatar the last airbender live action is a little bit i think it's under an unfair scrutiny however we did get the m night Shyamalan movie that was a train wreck so that might be why they're heavily like scrutinizing it like do not screw this up, you know? Yeah, and it's almost like, I feel like everybody's paying so close attention to this uh, Avatar adaptation, and One Piece, I feel like most people probably even forgot that it was in the works, and then all of a sudden Netflix released it. And uh, One Piece, like you said, Drew, this is one of the most just rabid, just passionate anime fan bases out there. And I feel like if the One Piece crowd is supporting this show it's got to be good you know because i have some friends who are one piece fans and like they're super passionate like one of my friends one piece is like the only anime he watches that's like the only one he has time for because he doesn't care about anything else and i think it's really interesting so but it's awesome to hear that it's good yeah um really dude watch the show it's it's great i look forward to hearing what you got to say about it um All right, let's talk about Ahsoka real quick, um, and then because we got a ton of news, and I know, and Ahsoka, we're gonna be on that for a few more weeks because this show is just going. A um, couple things I want to point out. Um, first off, well, before I go, what what are your thoughts on this week's episode? This was another really cool episode. Um, 
I like we finally see Ahsoka get to this new galaxy. Um, I can't remember. Is the planet is it like Peridia or something like that? Um, I can't remember the name of it, but she finally gets to this planet. We're greeted by this just awesome um, space fight scene where it's like all of um, landmines, basically. Yeah, like they're going through a minefield, which is pretty badass. Um, like that was really cool to see right away. And then uh, it reminded me a lot of the minefield from Galaxy uh, Galaxy Quest. Thank you. No, I remember seeing it and I was like, this looks so much like something else. And I think you're right. It's the Galaxy Quest moment that it was reminding me of because I couldn't figure out in my mind, like, what does this look like? And yeah, I think you're right. Galaxy Quest. But we had that scene. We had uh, Thrawn's uh, troops greeting Ahsoka right away. An awesome space fight scene. We end up, Drew, you you were praising that sort of um, Purgle graveyard of a ring around this planet. Yeah. We like an asteroid field dogfight within that ring, which was pretty badass. And then, of course, that's like a perfect place for uh, Ahsoka to hide and take cover for a little bit. Um, meanwhile, like we also had some really fun just sort of ground fighting elements with um, Sabine and Ezra um, and them fighting against like the bandits and uh, Balin. And uh, what's the I keep forgetting the uh, Balin's like apprentice, if you will, or. Shin. Shin. Okay, thank you. Yeah, all the like a lot of those fight scenes were great too. Uh, Ahsoka versus Balin. That lightsaber fight was great. Um, my favorite part of this episode, and I don't know how much of this was seen in Rebels, but I really liked how Ezra was just like, I don't need a lightsaber. Like I don't need a weapon. I just need the Force. And then I loved that that was his fighting style and. Uh, watching him do that. And I just took that as like, this is a guy who's been stranded on this alien planet for so many years and he didn't have a lightsaber with him. And that was just kind of how he had to make do. But then he like learned this whole new aspect to, uh, to force combat where it's like, no, I don't even need weapons. I just need the force. And I thought that was a really cool sort of, um, it kind of, to me gave me like the impression of like, I guess it's really easy to compare Jedi to uh, martial artists and stuff, but it really did give me that like martial arts movie sort of feeling where it's like the true master doesn't even need a weapon, you know, they just need their own hands and uh, nature and to like understand movement of their enemy. And, you know, you know what I'm getting at, but uh, that I, I thought was I, awesome, so. I do know what you're getting at, but I am. That was actually the one part of the episode that irritated the living hell out of me. And I have to 100% disagree with everything you just said. <laughs> okay, now I want to hear this, because I thought um, it was cool. So first off, the episode's phenomenal, okay? Um, uh, I want to point out a very specific thing. Um, because of a lineup, first off, C-3PO in the episode, how freaking fantastic was that? Anthony Daniels coming back to play C-3PO to deliver a message for <laughs> Leia. God, that was great. Um... That was like one of those Star Wars moments that makes you tear up a little bit. Like, oh, man, like <laughs> I was I was so happy with that moment. Um, but in that dialogue, in that like Senate council, whatever that was, that like meeting that they were having where you had that one douchebag guy like, you know, yeah. I don't believe in any of this stuff. Like, OK, you're an idiot. Why are you even on the council? Um, <laughs> I thought it was like a hearing sort of yeah. thing. Well, um, during 
Well, during that dialogue, they clarified when this story takes place, and it does take place after the events of Mandalorian Season 3. Okay. So um, there's a line where they specifically reference what happened on Mandalore, and then they talk about Moff Gideon and his troopers, like, seizing the planet and, like, building their army and all that stuff. So they they very clearly state where this story takes place, which was fantastic. Um, then... Uh, we get down to the planet themselves, and we get to finally see the night troopers in action. Now, because the night troopers are wearing the red, they have, like, the red sash rope-like thing binding their armor together, just like the uh, night sisters' robes, uh, which are very reminiscent of the night sisters' uh, undead army from the Clone Wars, made me wonder if the stormtroopers themselves were undead and they were actually death troopers, if you will. Um, the way we saw them die in the episode made me think that they're not actually that, but I really don't know yet that I'm still on the fence with it, but it was really nice to see those stormtroopers in action as opposed to um, like when you look at like rise of Skywalker, we got the Sith troopers, but we barely got to see them do anything. This was really nice to actually get to see a fight scene with them. Yeah, uh, I, would, I would agree with that. All right, now I got to tackle Ezra. Um, I have never, I have always been vocal about how I don't like Ezra. I think he's the worst Star Wars character in the in the world. I he literally he literally if you said worst like least favorite Star Wars character, Ezra tops my list every time. Um, I have not liked him since Rebels. Um, I don't like him now. Um, I think they casted him really well. Um, my biggest problem with Ezra is that. His mere existence completely undermines Luke Skywalker 100%. If Ezra didn't disappear at the end of Rebels, would Luke have been the one to destroy the Death Star? Would Luke have been the one to fight Vader? Would Luke have been the one to help destroy the Emperor? Would Luke be the last Jedi to build the, rebuild the Order and so on leading into the sequel trilogy? Darth Vader is the most powerful Anakin Skywalker, Darth Vader. He's he's the chosen one. He's the most powerful Jedi in existence. And his heir should be the most powerful Jedi. And when you watch Rebels so close, like so close to the introduction of Luke Skywalker into the story, you have this kid that was force sensitive that all of a sudden is more powerful than Luke Skywalker. And then he disappears and we get to see him again. And he's like, so we won, huh? The Emperor's dead. That's what they say. Hmm. Well, <laughs> wish I could have been there. And you're just like, no one wanted you there. And then, and then she's like, here, I got a lightsaber for you. He's like, that's all right. I don't need it. I'm more powerful. I'm like, this is what I'm talking about. You completely undermine the existence of the most one of the most important characters in the story, which goes back to the complete legacy of the entire franchise. Luke Skywalker. And it drives oh. me nuts every single time. Now, the issue of him using the lightsaber, and I'm sorry, I'm cutting you off a little bit. The issue no, of him okay. using the lightsaber versus not using the lightsaber is that when you look at the Jedi versus Sith, dark light Jedi versus dark Jedi, force users using force powers, it is very clearly stated in Star Wars Episode Two: Attack of the Clones. You have two masters, Yoda and Count Dooku, and they're throwing force powers at each other. They're literally battling with the force on a yeah. scale that Ezra is not even close to contemplating. Right. And Count Dooku says, 
there's no way that you and I can best each other with the use of the force. So I guess we're going to have to see who's better with the skills of a lightsaber. The point I take from that conversation is that the lightsaber is the equalizer between the opponents when you're dealing with force abilities. You're still using the force during the battle. You still need the force to control your actions. You still need the force to predict your opponent's actions, and you have to use the force abilities to do so. But the lightsaber is the equalizer that puts everything on an even playing field. And it's not like, and yes, you want to have a leg up on your opponent. So yeah, Ezra's got a leg up on bandits and stormtroopers. But when he, if he had to face off on Shin, like legitimately, and she has a stick and he doesn't, he's going down, period. Okay. You know what I mean? It's just like, and as soon as he said it, I'm like, yeah, okay, dude, pick up a lightsaber and stop your, stop being cocky. And I'm like, you're just, you're just as cocky as you were in Rebels. And it was driving me nuts. I'm like, whatever, man. <laughs> so I don't disagree with anything you said there. I think I haven't watched Rebels, so I don't have the history with this character like you do. So to me, I, I do understand what you're saying. And I know when I was talking about it, um, I did say like the true master doesn't need a weapon. <laughs> and I was saying that more relating to the sort of like martial arts movie sort of comparison. I'm not saying like Ezra's the most powerful Jedi right. or anything. If they were making him out in Rebels to be like more powerful than Luke, especially since like Luke is Anakin's son, like I think that's really pretty silly. It seems like it's, probably not that well thought out unfortunately but i guess what all i was saying before was just i thought the concept was cool like i just i just liked the concept of like oh he prefers not to use a weapon because after years of being stranded on this planet he just feels more comfortable fighting just with the force like i thought that was a cool concept yeah. um like you said he was going up against random bandits and uh you know a troop of stormtroopers or whatever i didn't feel like he did anything that was that impressive and when you mention like that count dooku yoda fight or like if you think of uh like palpatine versus uh yoda and yeah. revenge of the sith he didn't do anything nearly as impressive as like yeah. either of the fights like he threw a couple stormtroopers around so i wasn't i'm not trying to uh make it something more than it is. I was just saying, like, I did like the concept, but I do think you have really good points. And, like, that is true. Like, he should have a lightsaber, even if it's just as backup. Like, maybe he prefers right. to fight smaller adversaries with just his hands and just with the force, but you still should have that backup. So I, I do agree with you. I, I see uh, kind of the faults that you're laying out in there with it. So uh, I think that's, that's some good points, you know. And, um... Even if you look at the Emperor Yoda fight in the Revenge of the Sith, yes. the lightsaber was still the equalizer. It was literally yeah. like, we can't best each other with the Force. It's going to come down to, we're going to have to legit fight. So pull out your weapon and let's go. You know, and that's, I think, why the lightsaber was created. If you watch, if you watch Rebels, it's so close to the start of A New Hope in that, in terms of that story. It's like, it's like it's only like a couple years to the start of that movie that when you start with that show, you meet this kid, Ezra, who's got he's force sensitive. OK, there's a Jedi, Kanan Jarrus, who ends up he ends up like with Harris and Dula. So that's where like cause she has her son, Jason, um, in Ahsoka. That's her kid with Kanan. 
Kanan is a Jedi from the Clone Wars. He was a Padawan that was able to escape Order 66, and he's been on the run. And when he meets Ezra, he's like, well, I got to train this kid because we got to keep the order going. Well, Kanan, not to spoil anything, sorry, everybody, but Kanan in Rebels dies by the end of the series. And then Ezra disappears. And I was like, all right, well, Kanan dies. That's cool because we have Luke coming. This horrible tragedy happens to Ezra. That's cool. We have Luke coming. And Luke's technically one of the most important. He's like the pillar character for the franchise. And then Ezra completely undermines his existence, completely undermines Luke Skywalker in its entirety. Um, if Ezra makes it back to the galaxy, what does that mean for Luke? And that's right. all that's going through my head is like it makes Luke Skywalker not important. Um, and, and as the end of Return of the Jedi, Luke is the last of the Jedi. You see what I'm saying? That's the part that bl blows my mind that. I, I don't think they're going to break it, but it terrifies me that they're going to break it. <laughs> um, me, and I don't know if you have any thoughts on this, Drew, but part of me wonders, is this a symptom of you have Star Wars, you have um, you have the, the movie trilogies, you have these tentpole films, um, and then you start getting, um, you know, you have the Ewoks films, and then you have uh, the Clone Wars and Rebels, and now there's the Disney Plus series. And I feel like they're filling like every single gap of the timeline in. And I feel like you get some really awesome stuff out of that. But then sometimes you get a character like Ezra who might have been like a really cool character in a different time. But where he's at, it just seems to undermine Luke. Like you're undermining like your main character, right. for your main yeah. trilogy. And like, I don't know if it's just filling in the gaps a little too much where you run into like some of these issues. I don't know. You know, that's a good point, And I'm with you on that question um, in the sense that uh, that's a perfect way of putting it, because if he was if he was part of the Clone Wars, I wouldn't have said anything. If he was part yeah. of the Bad Batch, I wouldn't have anything to say about it. If he was a little like even if he was part of like the Obi-Wan show or something like that, I wouldn't have anything to say about it because of the space. It's he's so close to the existence of Luke. It's just like, why am I caring about any other Jedi right now when I know Luke is right around the corner? And yeah. that that bothered me through Rebels, but I was just kind of letting it be what it is. And then listening to the way he talks, it's just like, dude, you're not the chosen one. <laughs> you know what I mean? You you are not. And I think about Kylo Ren's speech to Rey. You're not important to this story. <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't... it. I, Ezra sits, Ezra is always going to sit in a weird spot with me, but that's okay. We're going to see where this goes. I'm optimistic. I love this show. I think it's great. I trust Dave Filoni wholeheartedly. So let's see what happens. Um, <laughs> By the end of this series, you're going to be rocking Ezra t-shirts everywhere you go. <laughs> yeah, probably. You're going to be the biggest Ezra fanboy. <laughs> probably not, but that's okay. Um <laughs> So we'll see. That's my big quibble with Ezra. Um, we'll talk about that more as we go. Um, and then I saw a really fun statement online. I saw this meme um, that led to an article that I unfortunately didn't have time to read. But just the headline itself made me on my own kind of fill in the gaps. And it said that Ahsoka is more of an heir to Anakin's lineage than his kids are. And that is so unbelievably like kind of true. <laughs> 
yeah. when you when you think about that, because Ahsoka was trained by Anakin, and if anyone's going to carry on the legacy of Anakin as who Anakin was before being Darth Vader, it would be Ahsoka. Um, and that, I just thought that was kind of a cool statement by itself, and it kind of made me, in my mind, fill in a lot of the gaps. Anyway, um, we have to go into news because there is a ton, and we're already, like, way behind. Um, so let's talk. <laughs> All right. Um, okay. So first off, um, the strike is over. <laughs> Writer strike, actor <laughs> strike. Everyone's going back to work. Yay! This is awesome. Rejoicing. Yes, there's much rejoicing. Um, there was a tentative agreement reached, and then it moved into a formal agreement, and we're back to work. Um, there was a statement released by uh, the Writers Guild, um, and it's it's a statement about the contract. Um, I read through it. It's very lengthy, so I'm not going to read it here. You can find it online. It's been posted all over social media, stuff like that. But it looks like this is a legitimate uh, good thing. They're going to be getting residuals from streaming based on um, numbers, things are streamed and that kind of stuff. So the actors, the writers, everyone's going to be getting compensated properly. Um, so hopefully this stays off another strike forever um, <laughs> or for a while because uh, this one was 148 days total. Um, yeah. so, um, it's awesome. I'm happy for everybody in that aspect. Um, they are, however, striking against video games. Um, that has, and that does not surprise me a little bit. Um, they have authorized a video game strike because, um, they're running into the exact same pay situation with video games. Um, and the video game thing I find interesting because, I think it kind of, in my head, it kind of should fall into the same guidelines because like games don't, you don't make games the way you used to make games where let's say like Halo one, when it released, it was, you bought the disc and they get the full game. It was a hundred percent complete. There it is. And they must play to probably got residuals or a percentage of sales and that kind of stuff, whatever. But nowadays games aren't being sh finished, completed. They're being finished, they're being partially finished, and they're considered live service games where they'll release the game, and then through updates, they'll give you content. <laughs> and that's a goofy part, that's a goofy thing to me, um, and, it's run, and it kind of runs into the same thing. So I may voice a character on a game, but then they're going to be constantly adding stuff to the game, which means my voice work is going to carry through, and I'm not getting residuals from that and the company's just making money so i can see why the video game thing makes sense but they've got up the deals in all the other places too so yeah i don't know if i'm not as active of a gamer nowadays as i used to be so like it's hard for me to comment on um the whole like them not releasing a game completed and how they always add stuff to it and stuff after the game's released and i don't know if that's like if the video game industry needs an overhaul in that way a little bit, or if we're just dealing with like the amount of um, work and uh, memory that the game uses and just the graphics and everything that goes into a game, maybe in these days it actually makes more sense for a video game studio to release an unfinished product so that they can um, pivot if they need to. Like if some, if there's some mass like massive flaw, they can, 
adjust like post-release like it kind of makes me curious if that's a reason for that but uh the one comment i can leave about video games is i think it's ridiculous how much um big video game studios are known for overworking their employees um i went to art yeah. school and uh every once in a while you'd talk to somebody who was like really into uh you know who wanted to become a video game like he wants to do like computer graphics for video games or animation for video games or whatever. And so many of those people would get discouraged because they'd be like, well, I wanted to go into video games, but I hear if you do that, you're going to work 80 hours a week. You're never going to see your family. You're going to be tired and overworked by the studio. And it's like video games is one of the highest grossing like entertainment, (laughs) like set uh, sections of entertainment. And it's, I think it's pathetic that like these these people working on these huge games have to be overworked like that. And I feel like I don't know what it is. Like, I don't know if they're rushing games out too much, but this is a story that you hear over and over again. And to me, it's just pathetic that like the biggest some of the biggest pieces of entertainment in our time have these ridiculous like production schedules for the team behind them. And uh, in that way, I guess I feel like I kind of identify with, like, why the video game industry probably does need a strike as odd as it, you know, as crazy as it sounds. But, uh, Drew, did I cut you off at all? I feel like you no, were not say- at all. Not at all. I, I'm glad you said that because uh, you seem to know a little bit more about uh, that specific part of it than I do. So, yeah, that's I'm glad you were able to weigh in there. Um, either way, I'm just happy things are going back um into production there's a lot of stuff that i'm excited about to get back to work and watch stuff and um yeah (laughs) so we'll talk a little bit more about that later um like i said there's a ton of stuff that's come out um let me see here um we'll we'll come to that in a second um in terms of things getting back to work um in the midst of this entire strike Game of Thrones, House of the Dragon season two filmed through the entirety of it. For whatever reason, there was some loophole in a contract somewhere that allowed them to all continue working. Um, So those actors went through and House of the Dragon season two has wrapped filming. So they're they're aiming for a summer 2024 release. So from what I heard, and I don't know if this is true, this is hearsay, and I don't know if it's this simple, but I heard that House of the Dragon is technically like considered a British production when it comes to how yeah. the show is produced. And that's why it didn't fall under like the screen actor guild, like strike and stuff like that. Um, which is pretty interesting if it's that simple, but it might be a lot more convoluted, but that's just what I heard. Yeah. But either way, it's pretty cool. <laughs> we don't have to wait longer for house of the I dragon. Know. <laughs> I know. All right. So here's one that's going to make you laugh. Todd McFarlane says the spawn script is near the finish line. Nice. <laughs> um, we've been hearing this forever. Um, however, he said it was on hold due to the strike. Um, this dropped. Um, this dropped literally like three days before the strike ended. <laughs> so I was like, all right, well, it's going to be old news by the time I get onto the show because we're going to be talking about the strike ending. But I just think it's interesting. That he's like, the script is near the finish line. Well, hurry up, man. <laughs> I, I want to say that I heard something about this earlier in the strike, too. Like, I don't know if it was around Comic-Con or something. I feel like I did hear another quote about 
Todd McFarlane saying the same thing, like it's being held up due to the strike, which <laughs> for Todd McFarlane, that might just be a uh, convenient excuse. Um, but no, let's let's keep this Spawn movie going. We all want to see it. Um, and I'm pretty sure uh, Jason Blum from Blumhouse is still on board to be the distributor. Um, I don't know if Jamie Foxx is still signed on as Spawn, but it's just like, come on, let's do this. I'm so ready for this movie. <laughs> I know. I know. Um, all right. In the realm of the strike, one of the big things about the strike was the AI problem with the actors. Um, yeah. Using their likenesses and all that stuff. George Martin, the creator of Game of Thrones, and several other authors have issued a lawsuit against these AI companies. The lawsuit cites an instance where ChatGTP generating generated an infringing, unauthorized, and detailed outline for a prequel to Game of Thrones that was titled A Dawn of Direwolves, and it used the same characters from Martin's existing books in the series of Song of Ice and Fire. So yeah. ChatGTP legitimately plagiarized Martin's work and started using stuff that are licensed and contracted to him. So now he's suing the AI company saying, you guys owe me money. And he is absolutely right because of copyright law. Um, the statement from the Authors Guild uh, CEO, it's imperative that we stop theft, the theft in its tracks, or we will destroy our incredible literary culture, which feeds many other creative industries in the U.S., um, great books are generally written by those who spend their careers and indeed their lives learning and performing the crafts to preserve our literature. Authors must have the ability to control if and how their works are used by generative AI. Um, I am totally for this lawsuit, so I hope they win and I don't see why they wouldn't. <laughs> um, but yeah, I just thought that was interesting that ChatGTP totally like kind of screwed George R.R. R. Martin. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's really like a lot of this AI stuff really just plagiarizes from everything. Like they took a lot of um, like mid journey and stuff, took a lot of artists work who didn't consent to their work being used for this. But a lot of it's plagiarism that uh, kind of fed the AI machine. And now it can generate stuff based on all of this information it's taken in. And uh, George R. R. Martin's right. Like it should be up to the author. Like if an author writes a book, and says they want that book to be like incorporated into AI, like maybe certain people might argue that that's going to help them stay more relevant, but it should still come down to the author. Like there's no reason that George R. R. Martin should have his word stolen to be used for an AI program. Like that's, it's really annoying that this is even a discussion we have to have at this point. Um, and I'm really curious how this is going to play out, how this lawsuit is. Um, so yeah, I'm just looking forward to talking about this more, but it's, uh, it's crazy. Yeah. I don't we'll know. See. We'll see how it plays out and we'll be here to discuss. I think it's interesting that I've, we've, I've started to become very like versed in contract law while I've been doing this show. <laughs> I'm um, having to, having to look and research and read through stuff. And yeah, so. Anyway, um, this is something that's going to just OK. I don't like talking about canceled movies that we never heard about or canceled TV shows or, hey, this is what we could have gotten if this person stayed on. Like those kind of articles on the Internet kind of bum me out because it's like there's no point in reading them. It's clickbait for you to tell me something. One, I already know. And B, it's just going to come down to the fact that we're not getting it anyway. Um, this, however, is one that hit me going one I didn't know about this at all 
and this almost irritates me that it's not happening. Um, Guillermo del Toro and David Goyer, so del Toro from, you know, Shape of Water, Pan's Labyrinth, um, you know, all the other creature features that he's done, and Dave Goyer, writer of the Dark Knight trilogy, and uh, he helped with some of the DC projects, and he wrote the Blade films, and, you know, David Goyer's been around forever. The two of them worked on a canceled Star Wars film together that we didn't know anything about. Um, Goyer confirmed that work was underway on a now-canceled Star Wars film with Del Toro four years ago, and Del Toro was teasing it was a Jabba the Hutt Godfather-style film. Right. Come on, man. <laughs> what the heck? Like, that's one of those gaps that we want filled, Lucasfilm. Um, that would have been amazing. You got them, would have gotten the entire, you would have gotten all the bounty hunter guilds. Like, it would have been so good, man. Like, come on. Um, yeah. That kind of bums me out that we're not getting that. Um, but whatever, it's fine. And one gap that I do want filled is seriously take a Clone Wars style animated series and put it in between A New Hope and Empire and then Empire and Jedi and tell the Luke Skywalker story that we want. I know you don't want to touch legacy characters live action, but you could do it animated. Anyway. Yeah, good call. Um, anyway, uh, David Goyer, in the midst of all this, started talking heavily about the DC Warner Brothers nonsense. David Goyer says that they were presumed to build a cinematic universe to compete with Marvel after Man of Steel's release. Warner Brothers was saying, we need our MCU. Yeah. At one point, they pitched the next 20 movies over the next 10 years, but none of them had been written. It was crazy how much architecture was being built on air. This is not how you build a house, Goyer says. Um, the... Um, Where's the quote? Yeah, here we go. It's absolutely true. Henry, Henry Cavill and Tony Scott approached Warner Brothers, but was turned down Henry to do Man of Steel 2. Henry also approached them after an offer to do Man of Steel 2 with Mission Impossible director Christopher McQuarrie. But WB was so obsessed with becoming Marvel 2.0, they turned it down. Come on. <laughs> We've talked about how the Warner Brothers execs really screwed this thing up. But hearing it from writers that were, like, in the room and, like, hearing that they were forcing, like, we want to be Marvel 2.0, I we are not the only podcast that said you are not Marvel. Stop trying to be Marvel. Do you know yeah. what I mean? That's that's the part that irritates the absolute crap out of me. <laughs> um, but, hey, here we are, you know. Um, so we got to see what James Gunn wants to do. And James Gunn made a couple statements this week. Um, James Gunn confirms three actors will be carrying over from the old DC stuff. Um, so he, he clarified a couple things. First off, James Gunn said nothing is canon until Creature Commandos next year, sort of an appetite to the DCU, and then a deeper dive into the universe with Superman Legacy. After that, it's very human drive to want to understand everything it all the time, but I think it's okay to be confused on what's happening in the DCU since no one has seen anything from the DCU yet. So basically he's saying everything pre-Creature Commandos and pre-Superman Legacy, because those are the first two things that will drop, everything before that is non-canon. Mm -hmm. Which kind of bugs me a little bit, because it takes the Flash off the table, it takes the entire Snyderverse off the table, and we kind of knew that, but the Flash was supposed to be that like reset for us anyway. 
but we want to let James Gunn build his whatever he's doing, right? Well, and he so said, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to say, it's just kind of funny that uh, uh, James Gunn at one point said Blue Beetle was the first movie we're going to see in his universe, and uh, that's conveniently uh, gone by the wayside, probably due to uh, box office numbers and stuff like that. But overall, I actually do think, like, what James Gunn is saying is super understandable here because kind of like what I was saying with the big video game studios is like if he doesn't reveal too much and uh, let's say Creature Commandos releases and it bombs or uh, Superman Legacy bombs or something, they still have a chance to pivot. Like they're not getting locked into this whole sort of like Marvel phase-esque release schedule when uh, they don't even know if the initial movies are going to hit the mark or not. So, uh, yeah, that's kind of all I was going to say. Not to cut you off again there, though. (laughs) No, it's funny that you said it when you said it, because James Gunn also said, and yes, some actors will be playing characters they've played in other stories, and some plot points might be consistent with other points from from the dozens of films, shows, animated projects, that have come from DC in the past, but nothing is canon until CC, and, uh, uh, Creature Commandos, and Legacy. So, huh? My yeah, I know that that's a hard one to swallow, in my opinion, because he's saying nothing is canon, but you're going to see some story threads that are going to be consistent and some story threads that are going to be like piggybacking off of. But we're still our own thing, and everything now is canon going forward. Um. He specifically clarified that three three characters from the existing DC films will carry over into his canon universe. One being Blue Beetle, same actor, carrying right from the Blue Beetle uh, movie itself. One being Peacemaker, played by John Cena. We kind of already knew that one. And then the other one being Amanda Waller, played by Viola Davis. And we kind of knew that one, too. But those are the three confirmed but hey, James Gunn actually came out and said some stuff, so that's hugely important because what James Gunn says goes when it comes to DC right now. Such a weird way to craft a universe because it's like he's making his own universe, but then if he wants to pull like a movie from the past, he can. But he's not <laughs> like he can like say like oh uh, Gal Gadot Wonder Woman's in my new movie universe. But none of the other DC stuff is, and it, or DCEU stuff is. And I guess there's nothing saying that he can't do that. It's just a really weird way to do it. And it's almost one of those things where it's like 10 years from now, they're going to release the, like, the DCU, you know, James Gunn's DCU box set that includes, like, Wonder Woman, but it doesn't include Batman v Superman. Or, you know, like, there's going to be some weird... It's going to be a weird amalgamation, but I'm kind of curious to see how they actually pull this off, to be honest. Same. And Gal Gadot apparently is the only one who knows if she's playing Wonder Woman or not, because she said she was and no one wants to say anything else. And then other people are saying she's not. And then James Gunn's being quiet. But apparently she had a meeting with James Gunn. Like, you know what I mean? So I guess we'll see. Um, (laughs) All right. Moving on. Um. There's some trailers, there's some announcement trailers that hit, and I didn't tell you about them because they were fast, quick, they didn't show hardly anything, but it made me realize I have a lot of cartoons to watch. Um, So if you didn't know, today is September 28th. The time of this recording is September 28th, which is the day Castlevania Nocturne releases to Netflix. Um, I can see that this was released. I haven't watched it, but I'm also a season behind on Castlevania, but uh, yeah, 
Go ahead. Well, so Castlevania, the first, uh, the four seasons that Netflix did for the Castlevania animated show, um, are completely separate from this new Castlevania Nocturne. Um, it's like a, it's not, it's not like it's a spinoff or a side story. It's another part of the Castlevania universe. Um, so I watched the four seasons of the original show, which were great. This has already been slated as it's connected, but not in that sequel kind of a sense, if you will. Um, the Castlevania series, like when you dig into the lore of it, it is pretty vast. It's a lot more, it's a lot deeper than it looks on the surface uh, when you think about where characters come in and all that stuff and like family lineages with the Belmonts and uh, the Richters and, you know, that kind of stuff. So um, I, when you start digging into that kind of stuff, uh, it, the, the fourth season of Castlevania was great, but I have not had a chance to watch Castlevania Nocturne yet. That is on my list um, of things to do. However, they released an announcement trailer, a new announcement trailer for Castlevania Nocturne. Okay, which is like, hey, the show's out. Here you go. And it's like a 30 second teaser. It looked cool, but hey, I'm going to watch the show anyway. They (laughs) released a 30 second teaser trailer for Devil May Cry animated. Um, And it looks yeah, Netflix, right? Yeah. And it looks fantastic. But like the two second clip that you get to see, you're like, I am in. This is great. Let's do it. (laughs) Um, They released a 30 second teaser trailer for an animated project on Netflix, Tomb Raider, The Legend of Lara Croft. Oh, which, I, haven't, I, I saw that this came out, too. I just haven't watched which it. Which looked fantastic. They released a new 30-second teaser for the new season of Masters of the Universe Revolution, the Kevin Smith show. Um, they released a teaser for Sonic Prime, also on Netflix. Like, Netflix animation is, like, really, like, shaping up to be, like, this amazing thing. And I'm like, okay, there's a lot of stuff to watch. And we are literally like a month and a half away from Scott Pilgrim launching on Netflix. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm realizing I have a lot of cartoons to watch. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But it's it's awesome. It's it's a good problem to have. Um, it's a fantastic problem to have. I just was like, wow, I got a lot of cartoons to watch. Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah. Anyway. Um, that brings us to the end of the news, and I think it's time we, and it's a really good, with the writer strike ending, it's a good segue into what we're talking about tonight, uh, which is a little change from what we thought. So are you ready to talk tonight's list, Peter? Yeah, let's do it. All right, everybody, we're going to roll the thing, and we'll explain everything in just a moment. for the top five. All right, Peter. Last week, the plan was for us to do... um, It was my pick, and we were going to do genre... Movies that change genre in the middle of the movie. And uh, one of the stipulations to this... this uh, One of our uh, friends for the show, Audrey... uh, She's been on the show a couple times recently. This was her idea. And I was like, well, if we're going to do her idea, we got to have her on the show. But schedules did not mesh well, so Audrey couldn't join us tonight. So what we're doing is we're going to push it to next week. So we'll talk about that next week because she'll be able to join us, actually. She'll be in in the studio, which will be great. Um, So this week we decided we're going to pinch hit. We're going to throw a list on the table. And with the writer strike ending, we're going to do a quick – this will probably be a quick discussion. But, hey, here's our top five. 
things we're excited to go back into production for because the strike is ended. Yeah. <laughs> list, uh, which I have a feeling we might match on and stuff, but I thought this would be good to talk about specifically because, hey, the strike's over. We're excited about stuff. Let's go back into production. Let's start doing what we do best, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's a pretty thoughts it's, on this because, uh, yeah. Yeah, it's a pretty fun list because it's kind of, uh, Overall, I think it's pretty, like, overwhelmingly positive. Just, like, these are the things I'm excited for to go back into production. You know, these are my favorite shows that I want to see come back on TV. Um, I did find this list a little challenging. Um, and a big part of that was I would look up, like, all the movies that uh, were postponed because of the strike. And uh, a lot of the lists that I found were only, like, 10 series long like I, there wasn't it, it didn't seem like there was a lot to choose from and then I kept questioning myself I'm like are these lists actually accurate or are they actually giving me all of the tv shows but I was able to find um five shows I think one of them might be a little bit of a cheat so uh, we can talk about that but that was really my challenge was just like it didn't seem like there was a ton to choose from and maybe that's just the sources I was going to so we can probably talk about that a little bit more as we go through our list but you googled for this dude <laughs> I, I didn't have any googling I was like oh. to me I found this incredibly easy the strike's over everything was on hold we get to see everything go back into production. This is what I'm most excited about to see now that we can actually get stuff completed. <laughs> I feel like there was a lot of stuff that I wasn't sure if it was in production during the strike or not. Like, I feel like there's certain shows like there's like my number one show I knew for sure was po postponed because we talked about it. But there's certain shows that I didn't know if they actually were in production or if it was just kind of like a weird in between filming time so i guess like maybe i researched this one a little too much <laughs> but it is what it is i guess so no it's all good i i don't blame you for googling i'm just surprised like so many things we knew got canceled and like put on hold and stuff um but anyway i don't have any honorable mentions because that's where i found it that's where i found it difficult i was able to get five really easily and the rest i was like what else am i excited for i mean this honestly feels like a you know how like when we get to our end of a year in previous years, if you've been listening to this podcast, if you've been with us the whole time, you know, at the end of 2023, we're going to do our list of stuff we're excited for for 2024. Well, we're in. I feel like we're doing that like mid year. You know what I mean? Like, what are we excited for for the rest of the year? <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, that's a good call. <laughs> you know what I mean? So anyway, um, I don't have any honorable mentions. That was the only thing I saw that uh, was difficult was just because I was like, what am I? Uh, you know, the, the five were easy. And then I was like, man, I don't know what else to throw in for an honorable mention. So. Yeah, um, um, I'm, I'm kind of the same. No honorable mentions this time. So. All right. In a bizarre way, I did pick this list. So I'm going to make you go first if you're OK with that. <laughs> that's that's fair. Um, my first pick uh, is pretty. So, so you didn't have honorable mentions either, right? Yes. Yes. So um, none for you. None for me. Perfect. OK. My first pick I can keep pretty short, though. Um, it's pretty I feel like it's pretty self-explanatory, but I went with Saturday Night Live. Um, yeah, right. On. There was kind of like a Twitter, uh, just kind of this like retweet or re-X. I don't know how you're supposed to phrase it nowadays, but there's this thing going around on Twitter X, whatever you want to call it, that I saw a lot where people were talking about all these 
newsworthy events and political events and stuff and all these like just stuff going on in the world that would have been gold for Saturday Night Live to be there to comment on. And we didn't get like all these like great parody sketches that we could have gotten. So I kind of went along that logic. But there's also like part of me that feels like if Saturday Night Live isn't on the air, it kind of just feels like not all is right in the world. You know, it just Saturday Night Live, it's supposed to be one of those mainstays. And, you know, there's certain casts and certain seasons that are better than others. But like you still want it there, because even if it's a not very good cast, you're still going to get a handful of just classic sketches, you know, and like it kind of it was just one of those things like it's kind of disappointing that it hasn't been there for, you know, so many months now. So that was kind of my logic with this one. Yeah, that's a good call, which kind of is a good one. Like when I get there, I'll it'll cover that a little bit. Um, But no, I'm totally with you because there's a lot of there's also a lot of stuff in the news that has been happening politically yep. with politics like. That would have been great to see SNL tackle, to be completely honest, because I think a lot of people I think there's a really great documentary I saw uh, years ago. It was um, the inf- it was about the influence that SNL has on political races and how <laughs> um, the way they make fun of Congress, Senate, the presidents, the campaigns, that kind of stuff. Sometimes the, it would, the documentary was all about how it actually has swayed votes because um, I'm satire that. portrayal of the candidates. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Um, yeah, SNL, good call. Um, all right, so my first pick for the night is um, Vox Machina and the other critical role shows. Um, not the show proper that they, the live play show, but they have the Mighty Nine show coming too. I, because the, that's a show created off of, technically existing material it still had a writer's room and it still had other actors outside of the main group yeah that, you know but season three for vox machina had to be put on hold and mighty nine they announced it right before the strike so that probably hasn't even touched anything outside of the scripts that they were like hey the scripts are done you know yeah. um i'm just excited for it because i think the show's great and i look forward to more so um yeah this this is a good call for this one, this is one that um, probably would have made my list. I just wasn't really sure about the uh, what kind of stage of production like the next season of Vox Machina is in right now. Like, I didn't know if they were still writing and voice acting for it or if like the show was like overseas being animated and it wasn't affected by the strike. So that's kind of uh, why it didn't make my list. But I think it's a great call. It's obviously an amazing series and I'm really looking forward to seeing um, the other critical role shows that are coming out. Um, Drew, with what we just talked about on the news, you're going to have nothing but cartoons to watch because you have to watch all the <laughs> critical role animated series that co- that are coming out as well as all the crazy uh, Netflix ones we were talking about just a bit ago, but uh, yeah, no super good call for this one. And the other thing that I just wanted to reiterate, cause it was a really good point. Uh, Vax Machina is based on Critical Role. You know, it's based on a uh, RPG, uh, a tabletop RPG podcast, but you still need a writer's room. You still need people putting the story together. You still need people 
conglomerating everything into the TV show uh, that we all know and love. So I think that was just something good to point out there, you know, like it's probably easy to forget that like, no, there's actually a lot of writers and craft that go into the show, even though it's uh, based on like a podcast, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. So again, we'll see how it, uh, we'll see how that'll plays out. I'm just excited for that to come back. So nice. Yeah. Um, all right, man. What? Um, yeah. So, so my next, next pick, um, this is the one that I felt like was a cheat, but it's really not. The reason I say it's a cheat is because it's in early stages of pre-production, but it definitely was halted due to the strike, um, primarily from the writing standpoint, but I actually went with, um, a Knight of Seven Kingdoms, The Hedge Knight, the uh, Game of Thrones uh, uh, yeah. that uh, they're well, working you know, on. It's, it's funny because none of the Game of Thrones projects made my list because technically they could film. <laughs> yeah, this, so. I think this is the only one because it's not written yet. So I think I think it's like the writers oh. are still under the guild and they had to be on strike where like House of the Dragon, the show was written. And since they're filming it overseas, they were able to keep filming you know what i mean so this one kind of had a sweet spot and this is a uh this is a series that i don't know anything about but i just i've loved game of thrones i loved uh house of the dragon so i'm just really excited for more of it you know what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah i'm totally with you um yes i i've been consuming a lot of fantasy stuff lately but that's just because nice. you know d and that's just because of my D D group and like things that i've had to read like lore and all that stuff wise but um the uh night of the seven kingdoms the book was great and uh if it's you know as long as it falls in line with that universe i've said it before i just want more from that universe so um all right so my next one is john oliver um last week tonight with john oliver i absolutely oh. love that show and just like your point about SNL, there is so much stuff going on in the world, including all the political stuff going on. I would love to see I, I how he's going to wrap up and start talking about stuff. Is it going to be an extra long episode? Is it going to be like, holy cow, we have a lot to discuss. And he just like starts it's rattling last, things for like last his, five months tonight with John Oliver. Yeah, or something. Last five months tonight with John Oliver. You know what I mean? There's so much going on in the world. Um, but he, he'll be back in the studio soon. Um, and that goes with the talk shows, um, like Fallon and Kimmel and all that. How many movies have we talked about have not been able to do proper marketing because they haven't been able to have their actors on and discuss. So John Oliver specifically more than the other ones, but I'm, it's going to be nice to see Fallon have like interviews and stuff that we can see again you know hey this like tom cruise went on to talk about this movie great i want to see the interview you know so that kind of stuff anyway right on uh what do you got okay so my next pick i actually went with the penguin the uh sort of spin-off series from the batman uh the uh matt reeves movie this is i don't know a lot about the series but i know it's colin farrell coming back playing this role I'm expecting amazing makeup like we saw in the movie, and I'm just expecting like a really visceral, gritty sort of story of like the Gotham organized crime underbelly. Like, I just want more of what we saw in the Batman, and I think that is what we're getting out of this. 
And uh, I just can't wait for it. But this is definitely one that was halted. And uh, yeah, it should be pretty badass. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. Um, I am with this because I want to see more of the Bat Reeves universe so much. Like I've said it before, though, the one quibble I have with this is I, I want the Batman show. And it's like, when are we going to get the Batman show? You know, um, I think I think we're completely in a perfect space to get a legitimate Batman show, in my opinion, if we're going to be doing spinoffs and Gotham, it really wasn't the Batman show we wanted where, you know, it's like it was more of the Commissioner Gordon show, if you will. Um, but yeah, dude, the Penguin, seeing Colin Farrell back in that makeup and doing his thing because there was such a chilling performance. It was so well done. Um, yeah, I'm with you. And, uh, and I can't wait to see the Batman, too. So that gets to go back into production as well, you know. And I'm I'm really curious with this one to see, like, his makeup in the Batman was so seamless. Like, you could not tell that it was Colin Farrell. And it makes me wonder if, like, in a TV series, is it going to be that same level, you know? Um, I'm really curious about that, so. Yeah. Um, all right. So I guess that goes back to me. Um, segueing from what we were talking about, the DCU projects. Um, just all of them going back and going back, uh, getting to swing. Um, Man of, I'm sorry, not Man of Steel. Superman Legacy can go in front of cameras now because I believe the script was done um, before. Uh, I'm pretty sure the script got finished before the strike happened. They just couldn't go and start shooting. You know, so but getting those back into the swing of things, getting Batman Brave and the Bold going, you know, getting the DCU projects up and started. Um, just excited to see that going. So. Awesome. <laughs> I'm just real. I'm realizing for some reason I thought we were only doing TV series. <laughs> oh, no, this was this was literally I was like any projects that yeah. are going back into production because like oh, okay. anything that's going into production because everything got put on hold. Television got put on hold. Movies got put on hold. Like, and now video games apparently are getting put on hold. <laughs> uh, that, um, I, I, that's why I had the more, like, I had to take more of a research angle because I was literally just looking for TV shows. But, um, I mean, my list probably more or less would have played out the same. Like, I know a couple of picks definitely would have been on it. But this was a bit of a last-minute pick. And uh, sure. even though this, this part of the, the episode probably seems clunky, I think this kind of stuff is entertaining as well here <laughs> in podcasts. So well, this was a last – this definitely was a last-minute let's do this list. Sorry, I'm yawning. It's, that came out of nowhere. I am not tired, I promise. Uh, <laughs> that came out of – the uh, the list kind of came in the – we got a pinch hit. What are we going to do? We got to shuffle the schedule around. Hey, this sounds like a good idea. I'm yeah. pretty sure in the text I said any movie or TV project you're excited about. Um, but if I didn't, I apologize. Well, uh, I, I think TV made a lot more sense for me, too, because it's like you get into these series and then you have to wait another season. And I feel like with movies, it's kind of like an unwritten rule. Like you go into a movie and you're not expecting to see the sequel for at least three years, you know, where a TV, a TV series, you're used to seeing it come out like the very next year. And that's why I think it's like sometimes a little bit harder to deal with those long delays between certain series. So uh, maybe that's a little bit where my brain was at, but um, yeah, the DC, the DCU projects, like that'll be really exciting to see, especially 
Superman legacy. Like everybody's got their eyes focused on this and uh, James Gunn has to pull it off. Like he's got kind of an uphill battle, especially with how much people are going to be scrutinizing this production. But uh, it will be really fun to see how this goes, you know, how it's all put together, you know? Yeah. All right, man. What's uh, your next one? Your number. You have two more left. Yeah, so the next one I went with is uh, The Last of Us, um, season two. Uh, yes. The Last of Us kind of surprised me. I think, like, I expected the series to be good. And watching the series, I did really love the show. And I think it had some high points. It had some low points. Like, it would have one episode that you would feel like was, like, one of the greatest episodes of TV you'd ever see. And then you would watch the next episode and you might feel a little bit underwhelmed or like, yeah, that was pretty good, but it's not as good as the one that came before that. And The Last of Us, I did find to be a little bit inconsistent like that. But by the time you get to the end of the first season, I was so pumped on this show. I was so gung ho. I want to see the show moving forward, move forward. Um I loved like just the whole debate, like, are you team Joel? Are you team not? Um, That sort of unanswered question as far as like what he's hidden from Ellie at the end of the show, like that's going to be a really, really interesting point of tension going into uh, the next season. And hearing that The Last of Us was being delayed definitely was pretty gut wrenching because you just want to watch more of it. You know what I mean? So, yeah. And The Last of Us, I didn't even think about that when I was putting this list together. But yeah, they got a, I, it blew me away because I remember talking about it on on the podcast with you is that my concern when I started watching it was suffering from uh, Walking Dead fatigue. And it is so unique and its own thing and so on and so on and so on, you know. So um, really excited for more. Yes. You know. Um, and it's great that that was your pick for that because my next pick is almost in the same line of things, Stranger Things season five, getting to go back into production, um, because that got shut down real fast. It was one of the first ones shut down, but those kids are getting older and we're dealing with like the end of a series and they have an impossible task. This is. That Stranger Things falls under the same guise as Lost and Game of Thrones and stuff like that, where, like, it's the impossible task of ending a show of that caliber. And, you know, what are you going to do? How is this going to play out? You know, so I can't wait to see how it ends. Like, it's just that's one of the most exciting things I, you know, I'm looking forward to. So, yeah. So so we matched on Stranger Things. Um, Oh, nice. So that's your final one for tonight. Yes. And when you pitched this list to me, Drew, this was the first thing I thought of, like Stranger Things is going to go at the top of my list. This is one of my favorite TV shows ever. Um, and it was I'm the so first excited. thing I wrote down when I said that, too. So that's awesome. Yeah, this is I'm so excited to see how they bring this series to a conclusion. But it's also like I feel like you have. Stranger Things one was so strong and season two was still good, but not as strong. And season three was kind of the same, like good, but not as great as the first season. And I feel like season four was the first season to really rival that hype that the first season had. Like 
parts of the fourth season, I'm kind of on the fence. Like, which one do I prefer, like that or season one? Because season four was so good. It was so creepy at so so at so many moments. It went viral in the same way that the first season did, and it was awesome. And it's just like, how are they going to follow that up? And uh, like you said, Drew, they've got an impossible task. Like, how are they going to deliver on this finale? But I am I am so excited to see this finally come to fruition and uh yes we did have a writer's strike but i think that's just going to give us a little bit of extra time to binge through the previous stranger things seasons <laughs> before season five so that'll be awesome you got time for a rewatch in there i'm gonna try <laughs> i'd say I, i'd say i'd give it a shot but i got a lot of cartoons to watch that's so. true <laughs> um all right. Um, what was I looking for? Okay, my final pick of the night is Deadpool three. Oh, um, of course, the great pick. Deadpool three, in my mind, as we hear things about it, and as we know what the first two movies are, and we know the direction Marvel's going and wanting to introduce the X Men and so on and so on, this very well could be one of the absolute greatest comic book movies ever to be made. And as I continue to catch up on my Marvel comics and read some more and get into that stuff and be excited that Hugh Jackman's back as Wolverine, even if this is the only movie he's back for. Um, I cannot wait to see this movie and see like the world ending, like literally the Deadpool killing the MCU. Like, I really feel like that's what they're doing. And it's almost like if I never watch another MCU project again, and this is the end, <laughs> this is the one heck of a way to go out. That's not the case. We know that's not the case because of the, you know, the machine that the Marvel MCU is. But, man, the stuff that we keep hearing they're putting into this thing and the fact that the writers and everyone can go back to work makes me really excited for the fact that they can alter the script now. He can have his writers on set like he has for the first for the first two movies. It gives me more high hopes um, yeah. for the film. Um, I, I don't necessarily know if they're going to waste time and money to go back and reshoot stuff, um, but you never know. Yeah, so, yeah. Good, good, good call with this one. And uh, like you said, this isn't going to be the last MCU film or Marvel film, I should say. And that's awesome. Like we've got so much awesome comic book movie content, but I do really like to think of like the last 15 years or so, I feel like comic book movies and superhero movies have really defined um, like the blockbuster movie for like pretty much all the 2010s and like these few years after it and a few years before that. And I think it's amazing. And I feel like because of the timeline breaking potential that this movie has um, and fourth wall breaking, I feel like Deadpool 3 does have the potential to be one of the more memorable movies from like this whole superhero boom that we're in the midst of. So I'm, I'm super excited for that aspect, but also it's just another Deadpool movie. Like the Deadpool movies are so good. You can't go wrong with them. They're hilarious. They deliver on the action. Uh, this is a really good call with this one. Cause this is going to be one of the best movies to see when it finally comes out. So. Yeah. And it's just Deadpool three, man. It's going to be so amazing. <laughs> <laughs> um all right uh so next week so that brings us to the end of this list next week for sure we will have a guest in studio uh audrey will be back it is her list idea 
So we're going to be talking about movies that change genre mid-film. So they start as one style of movie, and somewhere along the way, they flip and they become something else. Um, it'd be, it's, I think it's going to be a really fun thing to discuss. Um, I don't know if you've done any research, Peter, in terms of like what you're possibly going to be picking or started or anything like that. Um, I had a couple pit. So when I found out that she couldn't join us, I still had a couple picks to throw on my list. So um, that gives me a little time to think because uh, I had to kind of shift gears on the show. Um, but uh, I think it'll be a cool concept to discuss because it's something we haven't tackled yet. So. Yeah, absolutely. I more more or less have my list put together, but uh, it's it's a fun list. It's a really creative topic, and uh, there's some really great movies in there that uh, that fit the category. So, yeah. Um, that being said, though, uh, this brings us to the end of this episode. So, you ready to toss this episode in the can? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. All right, everybody, do us all a favor. Check out our website, top5report.com. There you'll find links to all of our social media, um, X and Facebook and Instagram, I'll still have to get up there, but we do have an Instagram page where I try to put a little more stuff. I don't know if you've seen them, Peter, but I've been trying to post stuff for the shows and that kind of stuff. Um, uh, that being said, you can also find a link to our email, top5report at gmail.com. Uh, there you can uh, hit us up there, social media, either way works. Uh, we are on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, um, Google Play, Stitcher, Audible, Amazon. You can subscribe to us in those places. If you do, you will not miss a single episode. You can also leave us a review. We love those five stars, but we understand criticism because it helps us get better and it makes the words you say feel, we say, feel important. Uh, you can follow me on X and Instagram personally at Drew3927 as I stumble through all of that. Peter, what about you? It's it's the X thing where it it's just sucks. So. It's throwing me off every week. I want to say Twitter. Is it Twitter? Is it X? I don't know. Is it the Sears Tower? Is it the Willis Tower? I don't I don't know. You know what I mean? Like anyway. <laughs> True story. Um where well, can, can people get a hold of you? Yeah, you can follow me on X at Ninja Pierre. And that's where I'm gonna be trying to start another writer's strike. <laughs> Gee, Peter. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> anyway, um, everybody, for the Top 5 Report, I'm Drew. I'm Peter. And uh, we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.